Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the mini break. Your day podcast for the big storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, January 20th, day seven of the 2024 Australian Open, now officially in the books. It was the final day of round three play in both the men's and women's singles draws, but of course, it also marks the official end to week number one of the year's first major. And look, when we look back on this day in the months to come, we're going to remember it for many different storylines. I'm going to get into all of those things on today's episode. But first and foremost, of course, we will remember this as the day that world number one and top C in the women's singles draw. Iga Sviantek suffered her first loss of the 2024 season. Sviantek seeing an 18-match win streak snapped at the hands of a rising superstar. Let me say that again, a rising superstar we have in the women's game in 19-year-old Linda Naskova. For those of you unfamiliar with the former Junior Slam Champions game prior to last night, you maybe now begin to understand why I've been so high on the 19-year-old's upside over these last 18 months on this show. Simply put, she put forward a stunning display of power tennis that certainly speaks to her upside and on today's show I want to break down the mechanics of her victory obviously also want to offer my initial reaction to the Sviantec loss from her perspective do we need to hit the panic button at all to start this 2024 season where do I expect Sviantec to go from here those of course are the reflections I offer on this podcast just about on the daily but obviously going to be Sviantec centric to start the show as the world number one eliminator on day number seven of this event. And with her exit, the next headline you have to turn to Who is now the favorite to advance to the final out of the top half of the draw? Is it a Jung Chin Wen who, yeah, 21 years old, inexperienced at the slams, but if you look at the level she has played over the last three months, she's got to be on that short list, a three-set victory for her on day number seven. How about Victoria Azarenka? Yeah, there have been ups and downs, but she made the quarterfinals of this event last year. This is someone who has now beaten Yelena Ostapenko twice to start 2024 another definitive win in uh, on day number seven excuse me of this event that I want to get into so I think Vika has to be on the short list and then honest to God maybe above both of them despite the power tennis those two are capable of playing what about Alina Svitolina hasn't dropped the set At this 2024 Australian Open, she's dropped just one match, a three-set competitive battle with Coco Gauff, who, by the way, also still alive in this event as we approach week number two. I mean, again, it feels like one of Svitolina, Azarenka, or Chinwen are 
definitive favorites maybe even to advance out of the top half as we approach week number two and that was not a storyline yeah I had Azarenka Chinwen in my top eight contenders to start this event but I did not expect them to be the favorites to advance to the final entering week number two so we got to talk about and just examine who has actually looked the best what should we uh, set our expectations as for that top half of the women's singles draw as we approach week number two that is headline number two. And then, of course, we got to get to all the men's action, right? A bunch of the top seeds certainly looked the part yesterday. Carlos Alcaraz, Daniil Medvedev, Sasha Zverev, even Hopi Hercots against a tough opponent in Ugo Umber. They all advance rather comfortably, but that tier just below those guys, they got shaken up yesterday. You saw Tommy Paul had two match points, ultimately falls in five to Miamir Kasmenovic, Kasparud. I'm going to say shocked by Cam Nori, particularly particularly given, again, how strong Rude's start had been. I don't know why I'm counting fingers for those of you watching on the YouTube channel. Hopefully, you mini-break podcast listeners, by the way, have subscribed to our Crack Rackets YouTube so you can watch these episodes now there. I'm counting on my fingers as I go through all of these bullet points. Here's the thing. Again, Kasparud felt stock up. At best, Cam Nori, your stock kind of holding to start this 2024 season. And Cam Nori was just straight up the better player last night. The aggression he played with, the willingness to move forward and put some pressure on Casperud, dare I say, felt like Cam Nori watched the Mark's per, uh, Mark per, Mark, excuse me, Max Purcell footage uh, from the prior round and implemented some of the tactics he saw in his game plan. So again, want to break down that matchup and then talk about some of the other battles, Kes- not just Kesmenovic or Nori, but how about our guy, Nuno Borges, a career first second week at the majors for Nuno, just the second Portuguese man or woman to reach week number two. He was excellent last night. The run of Arthur Cazot, if your jaw hasn't dropped on the ground with some of the breathtaking athleticism of the 21-year-old Frenchman, and dare I say again, Frenchman's tennis is having their first moment in a decade and a half, so got to talk about the mechanics of his win as, again, we break down everything that unfolded on day number seven of this event. Now, before I do, just a quick plug for all of you Mini Break Podcast fans to bear through We are also on ESPN Plus with a broadcast of our own on Sunday. We've got college tennis for all of you once again, 1 p.m. Eastern time. It's a top 15 showdown as Oklahoma State hosts Ohio State. Hopefully some of you tuned in to what was a thrilling Friday in Stillwater as the Oklahoma State men come from a doubles point deficit to earn a 4-2 victory over Middle Tennessee. And then in our top five showdown, Oklahoma State grinding their way to a 4-2 victory over number four, Michigan, a couple of deciding sets, ultimately, dare I say, deciding that match. Anyways, Sunday should be just as good. Top 15 showdown, Oklahoma State hosting Ohio State. We're on freaking ESPN+. Plus. If you are listening to this podcast, you're watching the Australian Open on ESPN+. Plus. If you're watching the Australian Open on ESPN+, Plus, you can watch the college tennis on ESPN+, Plus as well. And I'm telling you, once you get just a taste of the college tennis world as a tennis fan, you will be 
hooked. 1 p.m. Eastern time, top 15 showdown, Oklahoma State hosting Ohio State. Also, of course, a reminder, previews for each and every day of the Australian Open available over on our Great Shot podcast feed. A thank you, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who we have certainly kept busy to start this 2024. With that said, other than the obligatory shout-out to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com, the promo code is CR15. Let's talk all things day seven at this 2024 Australian Open. And headline number one, again, the thing we uh, remember this day for when we look back upon it in reflecting on the year's first major is that this was the day that Iga Svantec suffered her first defeat. And it wasn't just that she entered this match on an 18-match win streak. There were a couple of different factors that played into why this match was both, I guess, surprising and not surprising. In the surprising category, within that 18-match win streak, she had won 36 of 39 total sets. Two of those sets she lost were to the same player in Caroline Garcia, and obviously the degree of power tennis Danielle Collins was able to play in had to sustain to build the lead that she did in her round two matchup. There's maybe six, seven players in the world who you feel like could sustain that sort of level for two hours to actually execute that sort of game plan to beat Iniga Sviantec on any given day. And, you know, with all due respect to 19-year-old Linda Nuskova, who, again, former junior slam finalist, uh, a slam champion, excuse me, finalist, in Adelaide in 2023, follows it up with a really impressive semifinal showing to start this 2024 season. Naskova's game is predicated on playing power tennis, on holding the baseline, on, again, imposing her will upon opponents. She got a really good win in Adelaide over a player in Mira Andreva, who, by the way, is still alive in this week number two of the major as well. And again, that speaks to the level she showed week number one. And, you know, certainly looking at the stats now for Linda Nuskova, four and seven in her career against top 10 opponents. She's five and 13 for her career against the top uh, 20, but she's three and four against the top 20 since August of last year. That kind of speaks to, again, dare I say, or three and three, excuse me, not three and four, three and three overall against top 20 opponents since August last year. Dare I say that's kind of indicative of a mini leap. Obviously, a win over Sviantec, different level than even her prior top 10 wins over a Jabur, over a Kasakina, over a Kvitova. That's part number one of the equation, right, is again, Naskova, while she had had some success, at other events, you look for her at the majors in her career. This was the first time she had advanced to a third round of a major. And to have to face the world number one again on that sort of stage, would she be up for the test, was an open question. Here's the other side of the equation of why maybe it wasn't surprising. Did you watch the way Iga Sviantec got over the finish line against Danielle Collins? Yeah, the fight, the tenacity, the competitive nature of Iga, she showed the characteristics that a world number one shows when their back is pulled, uh, pushed, excuse me, against the wall. But no one would accuse Iga Sviantek of playing good tennis in round number two against Danielle Collins. There were pockets of good tennis, but as you looked at the performance overall, her forehand was just a leaky cauldron of errors. And, you know, with her knee being wrapped, you wondered, ooh, is that going to be an issue for her physically? Certainly felt like she didn't have the pop on the serve that, Sometimes she needs on quicker surfaces to set up her plus one forehand to get easy looks for her to extend through that freely. 
I mean, again, Sviantek's level was not nearly as high as it was during United Cup in round number two against uh, Collins. And obviously part of that was the weapons Collins. I mean, the Collins level in that match was a different level than she had faced in the United Cup. But it was certainly a vulnerable and wounded Iga coming into this matchup. That said, when Iga won the first set 6-3, you felt like, okay, it's business as usual. And even in set number two, Iga... 6-3, 3-all, 30-all. This long winding point ends with an exceptional Iga. I don't remember if it was a backhand or a forehand cross winner, but it was a ball on the deuce side that uh, Noskova just had no chance of getting to. I'm fairly certain it was a backhand down the line winner, which Iga is prone to doing. You know, again, she has break point to go up 4-3. You feel like, okay, this is where she's got it. This is where she pulls away. This is where after the match we say, look, Noskova's got a lot of promise. Still needs to get a little bit quicker in and out of the uh, outer thirds of the court. But obviously, when she's got the ball in front of her, when she can get her hands, make contact with the ball, the weapons are undeniable. The first serve is undeniable. Heck, it was even particularly impressive up to that point, 6-3-3-0, the way she had been able to kind of absorb and redirect the topspin Sviantek was uh, providing her. Dare I say, bunt down shoulder height to kind of accentuate the line drive tennis she was playing and use Sviantek's topspin to draw her ball back within the baseline. It was all extraordinarily impressive, and yet you thought, okay, this is where Iga pulls away. She didn't. Like, Iga Sviantek not only fails to break in a long winding point on game point where Sviantek had Noskova all the way stretched in the outer third. And instead of taking a swinging volley, Iga kind of lets the ball drop, kind of lets things reset. Noskova able to dig her way back, ultimately win that point, close out the hold with a definitive backhand cross winner. And then what happens next? Not, oh, that's great. Iga's going to respond for all. Let's keep going. Like, that was that last wilt of energy. No. Noskova breaks for 5-3. Was dealt in a couple of errors. No denying that. But she breaks for 5-3. She holds for 6-3. And now, all of the sudden, Linda Noskova has forced the third set against the world number one. And this is the theme we I, I have seen, at least, throughout the course of this Australian Open that I've reiterated whenever we've seen these sorts of upset attempts, whether it's the Kleins, whether it's the Purcells, whether it's the – Clara Burel is the wrong example, but certainly an Anna Blinkova against an Elena Rabakina. Swing freely. What do you have to lose? Like, if you don't swing freely when you're playing a top five, top ten player in the world, you are going to lose because they are going to at least match your execution at everything else. And if you don't try to exceed and play outside of yourself and give yourself, again, go down swinging, make a few more errors, be uncomfortable, but try and impose your will upon them because if they're imposing their will upon you, they're just going to beat you. They've proven that record. And Iga Sviantek, you look for her now since the start of 2022. She's 64-9 and against opponents ranked outside the top 20 on hard courts. Like she does not lose to opponents ranked outside the top 20 very frequently. And when she does, it's typically an Ostapenko at the U.S. Open, who was a 20th seed. Rabakina at last year's Australian Open, the reigning Wimbledon champion, yet the 22 seed because Wimbledon wasn't afforded points. Players like Keys, Krechikova, when they been outside the top 20. They've come up and gotten Iga. Even Danielle Collins at the Australian Open a few years ago. It requires elite power tennis and elite consistency on that day with your power tennis to try and get over the finish line. And even then, you're still probably going to drop a set. You're still probably going to have to do it for at least two and a half hours. Krechikova, three-hour, 16-minute win. Haddad Maya, three-hour win. Uh, Danielle Collins, 
a little bit quicker, hour 18. But Ostapenko, two hours 29 back in Dubai, 2022. You even look for her last year at the U.S. Open, hour 48. This match, two hours 20, 20, uh, two hours 20 minutes. And Linda Nascova sustained her level of play from start to finish. I mean, you look at the stats for Nascova in set number three in particular, nine winners against nine unforced errors. Iga definitely got a little leaky in the third set, 14 winners, but 15 unforced errors. You look for Nascova all overall in the match. She played Iga evenly, which is the highest compliment you can offer. 35 winners to Iga's 34, 37 winners to Iga's 33. First serve win percentage, Noskova at 71% to Sviantek, 65%. Now Sviantek, 56% win percentage to the 46 for Noskova. Both players, Sviantek, two of seven on breakpoint chances. Noskova, three of seven. Was Ika at her absolute best? No, she wasn't. Because she. it was very clear she just, that lingering doubt in her forehand. It was funny, it wasn't there in set number one. She was swinging so freely, but... Again, this is where I got to give some credit to Linda Nascova. The depth, the pace, the plus one opportunity. She made life really simple for herself. And I guess that doubt in the Sviantec forehand, where it appeared most, was on the return of serve. Ika wasn't generating positioning for herself on that return the way she has in 97% of her matches over the course of the last three seasons. Nascova was able to keep her at bay with the strength of her own first serve, but also with the plus one arsenal she had behind it. Forehand line, forehand cross, backhand line, backhand cross. She showed it all off. And again, you look for the 19-year-old. Obviously, it's the first time she's advanced to a week two at a major. Again, it's her first victory over a world number one, her fourth career victory over a top 10 opponent, and perhaps most significantly with this win now, Linda Neskova is just going to get to play whatever she wants here in this 2024 campaign. She's up to 35 now in the live rankings. New career high for the 19-year-old. By the way, quick stat to start here before we move on, because I think this is pertinent to our next headline. There are seven players age 22 or younger. Seven players age 22 or younger, still alive in this Australian Open, and Iga Sviantek is not one of them. You've got Naskova, Yastremska, Chinwen, Kostyuk, Timofeeva, Goth, Andriva, and Denisimova. I forgot, Yastremska's 23, so take her off the list, but if you include her, half the field is 23 and younger, and Iga Sviantek is not on the list uh, as we look at this class of players still alive at this event. It, it's a fascinating field. Again, 25 of our seeds, 25, uh, excuse me, good math there. Nope, 25, good math, of our seeds eliminated in the women's singles draw as we approach week number two. A stark contrast, I believe we have 13 seeds still alive for the 16 spots available on the men's side, but... I'm not upset with this field. And, you know, again, that brings me to my next headline as we look at day number seven. Who is the favorite in the top half of the women's draw right now with Iga eliminated? Let's start with Victoria Azarenka because I think she has the most clear-cut case. Azarenka into her 30th career second week at a major that's a ridiculous number. That's a Hall of Fame number, and obviously the former world number one and multiple-time uh, Grand Slam champion will find herself in the Hall of Fame as soon as she wants to wrap up her career. But again, the 34-year-old is, has now made it to three consecutive round of 16s at the Australian Open. And, you know, again, it speaks to when she's fit, when she's focused to start a season, she is still able to play such an elite degree of power tennis. And, you know, again, 
Ostapenko came out, excuse me, a little bit slow, but Azarenko came out so precise. She breaks Ostapenko right out of the gates, races to a 6-1 set, wins, uh, hits 14 winners uh, in set number one, and... You know, again, hit seven aces. Uh, excuse me, 14 winners in set number one, incorrect. Nine winners in set number one, but just two unforced errors during that set. You know, again, four aces in set number one, seven aces in set number two. She was just able to win three points more easily on her first serve. And that was ultimately the difference. Sabalen- uh, Azarenka winning 36 of 45, excuse me, first serve points, that 80%. Uh, that's the difference between the... Ostapenko, who is at 20 of 29 on first serve points, a 69% clip, excuse me, for the match. Azarenka, 4 of 4 on breakpoint chances. Ostapenko, 1 of 7. And the reason for that was because on five of those seven breakpoint chances, Azarenka found a first serve. Now, both of them were very poor on the second serve, and that speaks to how well both strike the return of serve, how well both hold the baseline on that return of serve, particularly on a second serve return. Neither is afraid to sneak inside the baseline, take an aggressive cut, use it almost as an approach shot. Uh, Obviously, Again, Azarenka, I would argue, a little bit better mover at this point than Ostapenko, but it was the serve. That was the biggest difference. It was just a little bit easier for Azarenka to assert herself, obviously, particularly in that first set. She came out of the gates hitting her spots, particularly the wide serve do side, and you're playing with fire there because when you give Ostapenko a lane, if she makes contacts with the ball and anticipates and beats you there, she's going to beat you to the spot down the line. Her forehand line as a return is that devastating. The thing is, if you can get her stretched, she's not recovering back to that plus one ball, which you're going to have just such an easy lane of a, uh, of space to attack. And that's what Azarenka was just able to open up so well. I thought she found that slice serve wide uh, on the do side. And even when she would go T on that do side, she'd go first ball, uh, she'd go down the T with the serve, first ball back wide to that Ostapenko forehand to force her to be on the run on that backhand wing. And there were some moments where Ostapenko hit an excellent pass again. I think Ostapenko was up 4-1 in that second set, but Azarenka able to claw her way back. It might not have been th- uh, 4-1, might have been 3-1, but uh, again... Vika's playing really good ball. She's fit. And again, you look at the numbers, Victoria Azarenka right now, one of seven players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage over the last 52 weeks. And that's despite the fact that Azarenka just 22 and 17 overall in her last 52 weeks of play. And yet when she's played, there have just been pockets where she's been so good that the stats are like, hey, it might be a lot of variance, but we see the upside still there. Victoria Azarenka, again, a 30th round of 16 as she tries to make consecutive Australian Open quarterfinals. Certainly by an experienced perspective, she she is the, the highest degree of pedigree. And for what it's worth, Tennis Abstract right now has her as the second most likely to reach the final according to their singles forecast. I mean, again, why is she probably second, not first? She's got to go through... Yastremska, then probably Svitolina or a Naskova, according to the numbers. And by the way, Naskova, after earning that victory over Sviantec, the numbers now love her. They have her favored over Alina Svitolina. That's a little crazy, but... I mean, again, Vika's playing well enough to make the final of this event with the weapons that she's got, with how well she's serving, how well she's moving, how fit she's come out of the gates this season. I know that's more eye, text than, uh, eye test than metrics-based, but she knows her spots well. She knows her competition outside of Chin Wen in this top half pretty well, also in Naskova, obviously. But 
if it's an Azarenka Nuskova Slam quarterfinal, that means Nuskova will have beaten Sviantek and Svitolina back to back to make her first quarterfinal after having already played multiple three set matches at this event uh, in back to back rounds, Kessler and Sviantek. At that point, Azarenka probably a significant favor to advance to the semifinals. And from there, you're one match away. Anyways, I probably. No, I'm going to stick with Chin Wen highest on my list. And honestly, I think I have Azarenka third. Because I'll tell you what, the tennis that Alina Svitolina is playing right now is elite stuff. And you look for Svitolina, who is into her 16th career round of 16 at the majors. Here are the numbers for Alina Svitolina to start her 2024 campaign. She's now 7-1 and one overall. She's holding 72.7% of the time. That would be a top 15 number amongst WTA top 50 players. She is also breaking serve 48.2% of the time. That would be third behind Sviantek and Serenko amongst top 100 players. And look, she had a pretty easy, uh, about as easy as a run as she could have asked to week number two. Hasn't had to play any top seeds. Now they've all fallen around her. But such, such, uh, thus far, straight set wins over Preston, Tomova, and Victoria Golubic, who had some weapons but did not have the consistency to last with Svitolina last night. Now, Svitolina has been broken twice in each of her matches, but that hasn't mattered because, again, she is striking the return so freely. She is moving just as well as she did pre-maternity leave. And again, she has come back with more chutzpah behind that forehand, a willingness to swing a little bit more freely, a little bit earlier in the rally down the line as well. Svitolina is playing elite tennis. That match was never in doubt against Golubic. Yeah, there were times when Golubic would break back, but that's the key word. She had to break back because Svitolina was always in front. Svitolina, fourth favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, to advance to the final. They have, uh, again, Azarenka 2, Noskova 3, Svitolina 4. I would go Svitolina 2, Azarenka 3, and then I'm going to stick with my pre-tournament list. I am buying the, the Chin Wen hype, who's the tennis abstract, as well as my favorite Chin Wen, according to tennis abstract, 46.3% favorite to advance to the quarterfinal, uh, excuse me, to the final. You look for Chin Wen uh, with this result. Uh, it's her second career round of 16, excuse me, third career round of 16 at the major, second consecutive is what I was trying to say as she made the round of 16 and further at the U.S. Open last season. Has a much more ideal opponent in New York. It was Anz Jabur. This time it's going to be Ocean Doden. And look for Chin Wen. She had to grind her way to a three-set win. Was a really competitive 6-4-2-6-7-6 victory over Wang Yafan. Yafan, by the way, from a breakdown in the third, was actually up 5-4. And, you know, again, Chin Wen had to grind her way to send this match into I don't remember if it was up 5-4. I think she was actually up 5-6. That's what it was. Chin Wen was up 5-4. Ya, uh, Wang Yafan able to get up 6-5. Fi- uh, Chin Wen able to grind out that sort of gumption-like hold you need to get to the super breaker. And then just the totality of things Chin Wen could do. A little bit more pace on her ball. And she really buckled down and minimize the unforced errors in particular. That was the most impressive thing is that she doubled down on, yes, the power of her first serve, the pace of her rally ball, but on her underlying physicality to get her over the finish line there, that Wang Yafan was good, but not great at anything, and that she couldn't really hurt uh, Chin Wen with any sort of easy consistency. It was when the errors came in set number two, and the con- the relentlessness of Wang Yafan, that's when Chin Wen sort of blinked for a moment, but 
that's a heck of a grind for Chin Wen to get to week number two. And again, now the draw opens up wide for the 21-year-old to make not just another quarterfinal, but again, a first semifinal at a major. Dare I say she's favored, according to the numbers, to make a first final. Those would be the clear cut. And by the way, those are the three of four seeds remaining. But if you're asking me, who is the who is the conversation between? It, they're on their own tier. Svitolina, Azarenka, and Chinwen. Yes, Naskova just beat the world number one, but I got to see it again. To Even me, I want to see it again to believe it. And there's always a post-world number one match result, like sort of that uh, hangover for any player. And to get the relentlessness of Svitolina in the next round, I will say she'll have time. She Hits the ball bigger than Svitolina on a routine basis, but Svitolina is going to be so relentless in getting her stretched, capitalizing on any second serve that floats in the box. Again, it's just, can Naskova replicate the level we saw in round number three? If she can, she's ready to be a top 10 player maybe as soon as this season. I mean, again, who's my favorite? Pick a name. I'm going to go Chin Wen. I'm going to stick with the numbers. I'm going to stick with the highest level of 10. Ugh. She's the most dynamic of the three, can blend the Azarenka power with the Svitolina physicality, but Svitolina can can apply some power of her own right now. And Azarenka's moving pretty well also. Chinwen bridging the gap between the two. I'll have her as my first favorite, Svitolina second, Azarenka third. But clearly, again, power tennis has had some moments in this event, as has physical tennis with players like Andriva, Timofeeva, Frech, Kostyuk. Goff, all still alive in this event as well. Anyways, that top half of the draw is wide open. Again, not a single top 10 player remaining in the top half. And you look at the under, 23 and under talent, Noskova, Yastremska, uh, Chinwen, all still alive in that top half. And then again, you look at the other relative lack of experience. Yastremska's in her second career round of 16. Uh, you look at someone like... Uh, Again, Chin Wen's playing in her third round of 16. Kalinskaya's in her first. Paulini's in her first. Uh, someone like Osian Doden in her first as well. Things got funky in the top half of the women's singles draw. And so, again, who's the favorite right now? I'm going to say Chin Wen, but... No, I'm going to say Svitolina. I, I do. I just think Svitolina is the best I've seen. She's played the highest level of anyone. Now, again, her level of competition has been the easiest... And then there's Azarenka, who just beat a top fellow top eight contender in Ostapenko. It's tough, folks. It's tough. I can make a convincing case for any of them. The numbers would back me. <sighs> just make up your mind, Alex. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. <sighs> I'm just thinking, who is going to face Sabalenka in the final? What storyline makes the most sense? I mean, Ukraine versus Belarus would certainly linger over any tennis things in the contrast of styles between Sabalenka and Svitolina. In all Belarus battle, the power tennis of Azarenka versus Sabalenka, the explosiveness of Chin Wen, but I just worry that she might get worked if she made that final, just because, again, the power into her kind of shaky forehand and the technique Sabalenka would really give her the business. I'm going Svitolina. That's what the gut says. My gut tells me this is the window. This is the opportunity for Svitolina to make that first final. I can't believe it came post-maternity leave, but here it is. Gut says Svitolina, even though the level of competition has been easiest for her thus far. <sighs> You're not going to stick with your pre-tournament pick of Chin Wen. I'm sticking with my pre-tournament pick of Chin Wen. That's where we're going to leave things. Let's move on now to our next storyline. Start talking about some of the men's action we saw on day number seven. 
Of that men's action, of course, three top 16 men's, uh, excuse me, three top 16 men's singles players falling on the day. That, of course, is where I want to begin. Let's start with, in my opinion, was the most fascinating of the three matches. Tommy Paul versus Mimir Kasmanovic, two really well-rounded athletes, no eye-popping weapons, but are really good at everything. And the margins between these two were so thin. Tommy Paul had two match points in the fourth set breaker, but ultimately it was Kesmenovich. Fights off match points for the second consecutive round. Earns a five-set victory for the second consecutive round. Kesmenovich this time, 6-4-3-6-2-6-7-6-6 love. Knocking out Tommy Paul, advancing to his second career round of 16 at the majors. And look, the last time he did it in Australia, again, he was slated to play Djokovic in round number one of that event. Djokovic pulled out of the event, obviously, with all COVID-related deportation issues in Australia. We'll leave that there. This time, he did it the hard way. Kesmenovic beats Struff in five sets. He beats Tommy Paul in five sets, and he overcomes match points to do it on each of those occasions. A massive result. For Miramir Kesmenovic, that's 30-30. and 30 over his last 52 weeks, and yet now with this run, Kesmenovic up 19 spots, back up to number 41, back knocking on the door. You don't have to worry about playing qualifying at the Masters events. You're getting into all the big events, all the main draws, and getting your shot, another bite at the apple of these top players who you've had some success against to start the season. And again, uh, fourth, uh, excuse me, fifth set sets aside where Tommy Paul, 11 unforced errors against three winners. Let's just take that out of the equation. Tommy Paul hit 66 winners against 51 unforced errors in this match. Now, for Miamir Kesmenovic, 41 winners against 44 unforced errors, and that's across all five sets. That sounds like Tommy should be winning this match, right? Tommy, 31 of 38 at the net to Kesmenovic's 23 of 37, and when a couple of Tommy Paul balls floated inside lines in that fourth set breaker, it really did feel like, okay, the tennis gods are telling us Tommy's advancing to the second week once again here in Australia. And look, again, on those two match points, Tommy did get a little bit tentative, certainly. I don't know if there was a clear-cut opportunity to him for him to move forward behind something, a clear-cut opportunity for him to force Kesmenovic to have to come up with magic to fight off that match point as opposed to just steadiness and staying the course. There, you know, again, there wasn't a clear cut. Oh, he he got tight there. He didn't move forward. But he also stayed at neutral as well. He wasn't pressing for opportunities. He wasn't, you know, again, there were a couple of long physical points. And then the inside in winner, Kesmenovic, hits on the set point himself to close out set number four, sort of indicative of the opportunity I would have loved Tommy to look for on either of those match points. But part of this speaks to Kesmenovich, man. I've always seen this inside the 24-year-old. That's why he was one of my make-or-break players to start this 2024 season because 24 years old, 60 in the world before the start of this event. Again, back up to number 41. What's his ceiling? What's his floor? I think the floor should be top 50. This is a guy who for the next half decade plus should never fall outside of the top 50. He should be competing to be seated uh, at every slam event that he plays because you look for his career. Again, the success has come across surfaces finals in Estoril, clay courts, Delray Beach, hard courts, and Tyla grass courts. And obviously he's made a couple of round of 16s now at the Australian Open as well. A guy when you watch play, again, no slap-you-in-the-face weapons, but drives the backhand well, pulls the back, uh, the forehand cross well. Yeah, that 
That side can get a little bit yanky when pressured by pace because it is a little bit wristy, and yet he can extend things so well. He can flatten it out down the line well when you don't expect it. He can play the slice. He's comfortable moving forward. A really sound mover. This is a guy who should be a top 50 player. I don't know about a top 20, top 15 player, but he should always be in the mix, always be floating again in that 20 through 32 range in terms of slam seeding. And that's just not who he's been over the past couple of seasons. You look for Miamir Kesmenovic now these last few years. 23 and 21 in 2019, 17 and 12 in 2020, then a step backwards, 14, 26 in 2021. Goes 38 and 26 overall in 2022, then the step back, 27 and 30 last year. So it feels like a step forward, three quarters of a step back. It's just been so incremental for Kesmenovic. And yet, much like Alex Diemenauer, again, he because his first full season at the tour level came in 2019, it's his fifth year in our lives. We feel like this guy's got to be in his mid to late 20s, right? No, he's in his early to mid 20s. He's still just 24 years old, turns 25 in August. I'm curious if there's more ceiling for him to scratch, if there's more maximization he can find in his game of certain weapons or certain things. Obviously, he seems to have maximized the physicality, maximized the consistency. I think the weaponry is getting better as well. So again, that's a really impressive victory for Miamir Kesmanovic. Bitterly disappointing for Tommy Paul to have the match points and have all the momentum. You're painting lines on passing shots. You're tracking down these backhand on the run magic. You're hitting the on the run forehand so extraordinarily well. You racked up again, what, 60 plus winners through four sets of tennis. Tommy played well enough to win this match. He was one point away from doing so. To see him fade the way he did so thoroughly in what was a six-love deciding set for Kesmenovic was really disappointing. But again, that was just the lingering anger from Tommy. And again, at this stage of his career, you would have loved to have seen him bounce back. We've seen him win countless five-set matches in his career already. You know, the one that comes to mind, two sets to love down to Roman Safulin at last year's U.S. Open. This is similar sort of adversity, I suppose. You had match points. Now you're forced to a deci- uh, into a decider. Bounce back. No, he was broken right away to start set number five. Again, bitter disappointment for the American, particularly with how well he was playing uh, in that Draper match in round number two and even uh, as recently as that. And again, had match points, hit 60-plus winners. He's headed home. Uh, obviously, again, bitter disappointment. Massive victory for Miamir Kasmenovic. It's probably a bigger victory, again, for Nuno Borges, just considering the context of Borges' career. You look for him. He's now 13-8 and eight when you include qualifying overall at the majors. This was just his eighth main draw at a major event in his career. Now he's into his first second week at the majors. And obviously, again, such a massive victory for Borges. He's now 5-15 and 15 in his career against the top 50. It's his first win against a top 20 opponent. He moves to 1-5 overall against top 20 opponents in his career with the win up to a new career high, number 47. Welcome to the top 50 to the former Mississippi State All-American who go listen to the first interview we did with him six ish years ago, maybe five years ago on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed where, again, he's a guy I've known pretty well given we cover college so closely, given his teammate Trevor Fauché happens to be the nephew uh, of the person I do in my our college podcast with. And so, again, Trevor was his college teammate. Nuno would spend Thanksgivings not in Portugal, but at Chris Hallioris, my Great Shot Podcast co-host house. So Nuno's a guy I know extraordinarily well. 
to hear the stories about him from a physical perspective where he was as a freshman and just how miserable things were. And even still, when you look, no one will ever accuse Nuno Borges of being an explosive mover on the court. When Dimitrov could find the outer thirds, get him stretched, more importantly, catch Borges guessing and change direction on him spontaneously, he had plenty of avenues and plenty of success, plenty of winners hit throughout the course of this match. And yet, man, that Borges serve that Borges forehand, the Borges contact point, his willingness and success when moving forward, keeping his weight moving forward when he does make clean contact over the top of the ball. I mean, Nuno hit 21 aces in this match. He hit 44 winners overall. Grigor Dimitrov, just 47 winners in this match. I say just, again, Nuno matched him. 42 unforced errors for Nuno to Grigor's 46. Again, the 21 aces for Nuno, part of a 78% win percentage. He made 69% of his first serves. That's really the biggest difference in what was a 6-7-6-4, 6 victory for the now world number 47. And again, the action coming off of his racket when Borges makes contact is special. Watch him hit the kick serve on the ad side, get you stretched so far, and then he can cut it up the tee just as well. He can cut you out wide on that do side to set up his plus one inside out forehand to the open court. He can flatten out the backhand so well, hit the slice, hit the short angles. Nuno's really talented with the racket in his hand. The question was always, could he become athletic enough to have his movement maybe never match his ra- his ball striking ability, but at least be good enough that it's no longer a complete liability. And we saw last night, it certainly wasn't. It allowed him to play on his, you know, the ball striking allowed him to play on his front foot and he was fit enough and certainly quick enough to do it and pull off enough defense, enough, again, and use his anticipation skills well enough to cover up that gap. First top 20 win of Nuno's career. Again, a massive, massive disappointment for Dimitrov, particularly when he won that first set breaker and got over the hump after Nuno played a really strong first set. You thought, okay, he just took Borges' biggest uh, punch. He rolls from here. No, Borges got up an early break in that second set and never went away. The only thing better than this victory is the sort of guy Nuno Borges is. Just one of the best to get to hang out with. One of the kindest souls we have in tennis. He still has like a youthful innocence about him. And you just couldn't be happier for him. Again, into his first, second week of a major. Just the second Portuguese man or woman woman ever to accomplish that feat in singles. A tip of the cap to the former Mississippi State All-American. I've said it before. The most underrated college tennis player of the uh, 2010s. A former NCAA singles finalist. Now a top 50 player in the ATP Top 100 singles rankings. A shout out to you, Nuno Borges. Biggest victory of his career. Our third um, excuse me, top uh, second top 15 upset of the day. And then last but not least, what a win for Cam Norrie, who now advances to his third career second week at a major, first in Australia as he earns a 6-4, 6-7, 6-4, 6-3 win over Casper Ruud. Norrie fought off nine of the break, uh, 10 break points that he faced in this match. How did he do it? Well, it was with a relentless aggression 
that I didn't know he had in him. Nori, 63 winners against just 36 unforced errors. By the way, those 63 winners, it wasn't like he hit 20 aces. He hit 11 aces, but not 20. Where did those winners come? I'm glad you asked. Nori was 41 of 56 at the net compared to Rude's 14 of 28. By the way, the counting stats for Casper Rude in this match are really good. Outside of the second serve win percentage, Casper, 54 winners, 28 unforced errors. You know, again, he faced, what, a total of six break points in this match. Now, he was broken four times, but he generated 10 break points for himself to Nori's six. And again, typically you have a winner unforced error ratio of plus 26 as Casper Rude. You're winning a match definitively. I swear to God, Nori took a play out of the Max Purcell playbook and said, oh, force him to hit passing shots? And I'm going to have looks at volleys, and I also think I'm going to be able to extend rallies and not recklessly move forward the way at times Purcell almost had to because he doesn't have that underlying degree of rally tolerance and physicality. Well, I mean, he's plenty fit, but again, the rally tolerance, that's not Max Purcell's game. Cam Nori has that gear to him, but you see the development that he received in college with all the doubles and just rounding out the rest of his skill set. So comfortable, high backhand volleys driving forehand volleys moving forward. That first volley as he approaches the net, he hit it with such success to set up really easy knockoff second volleys or really easy knockoff putaways or just drawing an error from there that, again, allowed him to rack up that 63 winner to 36 unforced error count. He was on his front foot in a way I just haven't seen him play front foot tennis in so long. And, you know, again, you look for Cam Nori. Uh, this victory for him in terms of wins against top 20 opponents at the majors, there few and far between for Nori thus far in his uh, career. In fact, he's now just 2-10 and 10 against the top 20, his last win coming at the 2020 U.S. Open against Diego Schwartzman. Again, this was a must-have for a guy who had fallen outside the top 20 to number 22 to start this event, and now in reaching the round of 16, Cam Nori uh, back up to number 19, back in that top 20 discussion here. Quick rise uh, to kick off his 2024 campaign, and more than anything, just a little bit of momentum to beat a guy in a Casper, who I thought played really well, and yet Nori's best today was better than maybe not the absolute best, but certainly the good from Casper. And I didn't know Nori still had that ceiling to him. So that's a really impressive result uh, for the 28 year old Brit to get to round number four. And, you know, again, set up certainly a winnable match against the Sasha Zverev, who. You know, again, can get always a little bit shaky uh, in these sorts of scenarios. So fantastic victory for Cam Nori uh, to knock off the 11th seeded Casper Ruud. And again, uh, those were your three top 15 seeds knocked out on the day. Uh, Ruud, Dimitrov, Tommy Paul. We've now had 19 of 32 seeds eliminated so far. Talon Greek Spore, the last of the seeds eliminated, but we'll get to him in a moment. I do want to talk about the top seeds because I know other shows probably would have led with these players. They're the headline stars, not the Noskovas, not the Noris or the Borgeses or the Kesmanoviches. But as you listeners know, and now viewers on YouTube are learning here on the Mini Break Podcast feed, we like to break down everything in depth, keep you well-informed, best educated. Now you can go give a new Do Borges spiel uh, to your tennis friend who hasn't otherwise heard of him. Anyways, they've all heard of these top seeds, and I'm going to rapid fire through them because we didn't learn much. Carlos Alcaraz, 
61611 love. Jerry Shung was not at his healthiest. Even if he was, he's just not ready for the athleticism, the pace, the weight of shot that Alcaraz brings. Alcaraz into his seventh career round of 16 at the majors. And I think that's seven consecutive majors played where if he's played the major, he has made the round of 16. Uh, a remarkable run, certainly, for the still just 20-year-old. And obviously, he's going to be a heavy favorite against Kesmanovic. In fact, 93.2% according to the tennis abstract singles forecast. Uh, you also have Medvedev into the 14th career round of 16 of his career. He earns a straight set victory over Felix Ogier Aliasim. Medvedev now 7-0 in the career head-to-head. He played so much better than he did against Emil Rusevori. This was the writing of the ship sort of result I anticipated in our Great Shot podcast preview of this match. His serve, enough to get, you know, again, Felix, who's always a little slap happy and will always offer you a few errors via his return of serve. Um, Medvedev, excuse me, able to generate those pretty comfortably out of Felix throughout the match. And then from a movement perspective, Medvedev was just everywhere, his backhand feeding off of that FAA pace and Again, FAA was playing better, still not moving his best, still looked a little stiff trying to change directions, but good result for him more broadly to steady the ship, better result for Medvedev. He looked the part of number three seed straight set victory to, again, advance to what his, uh, I believe I said, was it, it's Alcaraz's eighth round of 16, not seventh, excuse me, eighth of his career, Medvedev into his 14th of his career. Sasha Zverev's into his 17th, that's second most, trails just Novak Djokovic of remaining players in this event. Zverev straight set winner over 19-year-old Alex Mickelson. Again, it's a massive win for Mickelson. Up to new career high, 73 in the live rankings. First third round at a major. Uh, uh, first third round, excuse me, in Australia for him. His weapons are real. And again, his willingness, eagerness to move forward, to apply pressure to his opponents. Even in that second set, it made Zverev uncomfortable. And there was a moment there when he went up that early mini break to, uh, to love, or maybe it was 2-1 in that second set break, where you thought to yourself, oh my God, Zverev's going to get passive. He's going to get shaky, and this kid has enough gumption to take advantage of that, move forward, win the second set, make this a match. That was ultimately not the case, and ultimately the weight of the Zverev serve, the weight of the Zverev shot, his physicality and ability to extend rallies and punish any hanging approach shots with, which Mickelson can get away with against lesser competition, not against top 10 competition. Zverev was just clearly the better tennis player. And thus, he steadies the ship as well. He is through, again, to a second week at a major for the 17th time in his career. Last but not least of the top seeds, how about Hubi freaking Hercots? Four-set win over Ugo Umber. Hercots into his fifth round of 16 at the majors in his career will have his Easiest test to date by far uh, by ranking. He's faced Djokovic, Rude, Medvedev, and Korda. By the way, three, uh, yeah, uh, two of his four round of 16s have gone five sets. This time, he gets the 21-year-old sensation, Arthur Cazzo, who we'll get to in a moment. But, man, Hercot served lights out. Again, was broken early in that uh, first set. Rest of the way, pretty clean sheet. Fights off five of seven break points that he faced. He wins 80%, over 80% of his first serve points for the third consecutive match here in Australia. Ultimately, 3-6-6-1-7-6-6-3. Hercot's able to advance. Here's the big number. Since the start of Wimbledon, so July 3rd last year, Hubi Hercot's 29-11. 29-11 overall since the start of July last year. By the way... 
He's faced a pretty solid level of competition, 5-7 and seven against top 20 opponents during that stretch of time. You look for him against the top 10 during that stretch, 2-5 and five overall, but you know three set matches against Zverev, Djokovic in losses, Alcaraz in a couple of three-set losses, a four-set loss to Djokovic at Wimbledon. So it's clear he's made another a jump, and obviously the biggest thing here, he's serving like John Isner, 90.8% hold percentage since the start of July. By the way, even in his losses to top 10 opponents, who be still holding 91.9% of the time against them. The problem is he's just breaking fewer than 10% of the time. So truly, against top 10 opponents, he's a better serving John Isner. Um which is a fascinating little detail because he moves so well, obviously, the creativity there, et cetera. But from a math perspective, that's what that tells me. Still, again, for Hubi, for a guy who's been in the top 10, two Masters titles, for it to be just his fifth round of 16, his first in Australia, uh, second in Australia, that number's too low. But second consecutive season, he's made the second week here in Australia. Let's see if he can get to a first Australian Open quarterfinal and just second in his career. The matchup with Arthur Cazzo awaiting Last but not least here on today's show, let's get to all the other topics, the other stories you might have missed on day number seven. And again, we'll do it in rapid fire fashion because I know I talked a lot on today's show. I mentioned the upsets, Noskova over Sviantek, Azarenka over Ostapenko, and then how about Diana Yastremska advancing to her second career round of 16 at the majors. The 23-year-old has just refound that power tennis that had us all so captivated by her upside early in her career. Yastremska up 31 spots back to number 62 uh, in the live rankings. And, you know, again, it's her first round of 16 at the majors since 2019. It's been four and a half years as that came at Wimbledon. And it's been a long time coming. So many different, you know, the doping violation obviously throws her off kilter, though she maintains her innocence. Obviously, her family in Ukraine, the ongoing conflict there with Russia, having to live with that in the background. We've seen her travel with family, and she's talked openly about how it's, what it's meant to her. Themes like, seems like things have studied of late. Not only does she make the fourth round here at this major, she's 6-7 and seven against top 50 opponents. Now, three of those wins at this event, but 6-7 and seven against top 50, two opponent, uh, top 50 opponents over her last 52 weeks. The power tennis she played, like, there were some errors, no doubt about it, in set number two. And you look overall, Yastrzemska, 36 winners against 35 unforced errors, 16 of those 35 unforced errors coming in set number two. The biggest thing is Emma Navarro hit only nine winners. That's all she had time to hit because Yastrzemska was so definitive in her aggression. It's just a reminder. She's had an on and off relationship with Serena Williams' Power Tennis Country Club. She's too volatile even for us at times, but... We still have her. We've still always extended her weekend privileges because we're just keeping our eyes on her always. And there are times when she's a really fun hang as a tennis fan to get to watch play. Again, a great month for Emma Navarro. 10-2, first tour-level title, first third round at a major. Disappointing loss given the context, but that's what Diana Yastrzemska can do to people. So, again, that is a little concerning just given someone who's able to play that caliber of power tennis, and the list is growing. Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club now has a wait list. Um, 
that's a little concerning, I suppose, for Navarro in terms of defining her ceiling moving forward. But what we learned coming out of this month is the floor is so high because, damn, is Emma Navarro really good at any at everything? She just kind of ran into a buzzsaw in Yastremska. Yastremska, the three-set victory on the day. That was one of four three-set matches you had. You had the two upsets, Naskova, Yastremska, the Chinwen, 7-6 in the third over Wang Yafan. And then how about... Anna Kalinskaya, the 25-year-old advancing to her first round of 16 at the major. She's now 16-3 and three since the end of October. 6-7-6-1-6-4 victory. She knocks out Sloane Stevens, fought off 12 of the 13 break points she faced in what was very much, uh, what was a very fun, very balanced matchup uh, between the two. A massive moment for Kalinskaya. This win gets her back up to number 52 in the live rankings, up 23 spots, one position off her her career high. And then again, last but not least, I mentioned the uh, the five setters on the men's side. And I guess just to keep you all updated on the stat, 45 of 112 matches on the women's side have gone the distance. Seeds 12 and 7 in those matches uh, thus far. I didn't update that. I think they're now 14 and 9 overall through seven days of play. You look on the men's side, just the one five setter. Again, Kesmanovic knocking out Tommy Paul. Men's seeds now 15 and 5 overall through six days of play in five set matches. The other two results, just quickly on the women's side Paulini, her first career round of 16. And again, this is the feather in her camp. Jasmine Paulini, since May 15th, 39 and 19. Overall, she's made um, the quarterfinals, I believe, or further of six different events, four of them coming at the tour level. Now, her first round of 16 at the majors, the feather in the cap. That just so blatantly proves the 28-year-old should be at the number 24 spot in the live ranking. She is the Italian, just the big forehand, ultimately powering her through that match in straight sets over Anna Blinkova. And then, how about Ocean Doden? First career round of 16 for the 27-year-old Doden up in the live rankings now all the way to number 75, 20 spots via her straight vet victory, 2-4 and four over Clara Burrell. Burrell just couldn't hurt her with any sort of consistency, and when she did, the error started to leak in. So again, a credit to Ocean Doden, straight set winner, first round of 16 for her, and then last but certainly not least, 21-year-old Arthur Cazot has caught lightning in a bottle to start this season. He wins a challenger week number one in Noumea and now extends his winning streak to eight consecutive matches here to start uh, this 2024 season. There we go. As ultimately Arthur Cazot uh, threw to the round of 16 for the first time. Cazot straight set victory. Straight sets, 3-3-1, three, three, and one. didn't face a break point against the talent Greek Spore, who, let's be clear, was out of gas. And first two rounds, Greek Spore got the most difficult of draws. He got Sefulin, five sets round one, Arthur Fee, four sets round two. I mean, again, he's the more experienced player facing the 21-year-old, but the 21-year-old is just a breath of fresh air. The athleticism, the youthful exuberance. The snap of his serve forehand combination, like he's got real weapons. And again, French men's tennis is having a moment. You are more excited right now if you're a French men's tennis fan about an Arthur Fee, about a Luca Van Asha, about an Arthur Cazot, about a Giovanni Pecci Pericard, about all these different talents that are 21 and under, and even Umbert still 25 and under. Like this next half decade is going to be more fun for French men's tennis than they have had 
in at least a decade. Like since Simone, Monfi, Songa, and Gasquet were all in their primes. And these guys all feel like they can be top 50 players. Certainly with a guy like Fee, you feel like he could knock on the door of top eight and perennial ATP Tour Finals contention. Von Asch is just going to be such a miserable out physically. He's going to have a spell inside the top 35. And now you just see... Again, that ability to catch. I mean, there's just a quality to Arthur Cazot. I still got to put my finger on it, watch more film with him. But he's as good as he needs to be in any given moment, or at least has been thus far in 2024. And again, he's caught lightning in a bottle. Now he's going to be a significant underdog as he takes on Hoopy Hercots in round number four. But again, if he can figure out the spots on the Hercots serve, why not from there? Certainly we'll have some pace, the weapons, the boldness to put some pressure on that Hercots forehand. Still... It's a fun slate. Again, of our top 16 seeds, I believe we have, what, seven in the top eight, uh, seven plus four, 11 of our top 16 seeds ultimately reaching the round of 16 and 13 seeds overall of the 16 spots. And the non-seeds are Nuno Borges, who I'm always excited about because we know him well, because he's a former Mississippi State All-American. And guess what? I bet we're going to have the chance to interview him after this run. Miamir Kasmanovic. Former top junior in the world. Like, again, pedigree guy. I don't hate seeing him in this part of the conversation. Then an Adrian Manorino, who has been a top 16 player for the last five months. So it's a loaded field. As fascinating, intriguing, as unknown. And, again, you get every sort of storyline you want between these two singles draws. If you want the unknown, if you want the uncertainty, and yet still the Sabalenka and Goff of it all. You've got the women's draw. You've got Azarenka, Svitolinas, Chinwens in pursuit on the top half as well. Then the men's draw again. If you want that mainstream, big name, head-to-head, excellent matchups, you're going to get that from the men's draw. So a little taste of everything from this 2024 Australian Open. Wouldn't have it any other way, of course. We preview each and every day of this year's first major over on our Great Shot podcast feed. So if you're looking for my thoughts on day eight, head on over there. You can find those shows wherever you listen to your podcasts. Of course, we will be back here tomorrow to recap day number eight for all of you tennis fans. We will also have college tennis in all of your lives as 1 p.m. Eastern time, Oklahoma State taking on Ohio State. You can watch that matchup on ESPN+. Plus. Use it as your appetizer before the main course Australian Open play arrives. Of course, a shout-out and thank you, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, as well, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout-out to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point as well, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Bruskin. We say that's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.